Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you're having an awesome day. I am recording this intro at midnight on Sunday night and we just had a great day of church today. I want to say a big thank you to everybody who was there. We had a really great crowd. Um, we had some new people. That's always really exciting. Um, so hopefully next week we have some repeat visitors. That'd be really cool. And huge thanks to you for listening. Uh, it just means so much that anybody would uh, really care what we're up to and um, really be invested. And so thank you. We uh, couldn't do it without you. I want to jump right to Hannah. Uh, I'm getting over a little cold and I'm coughing a lot and I don't want to have to cough in your ear in this podcast intro. The only real announcement that we have is uh, this coming Sunday, we will have a guest speaker. It's going to be Isaac. Um, he attends different. He's a huge part of what we do. We're, he's not like a, a, a ringer that we're bringing in from the outside. So it's one of our people. So if uh, you attend um, different uh, every now and then, or if you're a regular attender, uh, we would really love for you to be there this week to support him. I don't think he's ever really spoken or preached like this before at church. I could be wrong. Uh, but anyway, I would just love to uh, have a nice full room of uh, loving faces uh, to just help him have a really awesome day on Sunday. Um, that's it. We are going to jump into Ruth. Hannah, read the Bible for us. So we're picking up in Ruth chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 5, and then a couple of verses from chapter 4. One day, Ruth's mother Naomi, mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Today he will be winning, winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash yourself, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down and sleeps... Note the place where he is lying. And then go uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So Boaz took Ruth and he, she became his wife. And when they were together, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, praise the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and she cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed and he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Now, perhaps you're not familiar with the story of Ruth. So I'm gonna give like a recap because I think Ruth is one of the most fascinating characters in the Bible. Um, and also I just like women in the Bible. One of my favorite topics. Um, so what happened was, this is a Hannah translation of Bible story. There's a guy named Elimelech and a lady named Naomi, and they're married, and they have two kids, two sons. They live in Judah. They're an Israelite family. But there's a famine. There's no food. So they have to leave and go to Moab. Now, Moab is like a neighboring country. They're always at war with Israel. They do not like each other, okay? Um, and they have to leave Bethlehem, which the Bible is always putting in like little ironic or funny things. Bethlehem literally translated as the house of bread. So they have to leave the house of bread because there is no bread and go to a place, an enemy territory as refugees so that they can find bread and they are welcomed. In fact, they're like fully integrated into the community and offered hospitality there that perhaps they themselves would not have offered 
to a Moabite family coming to Israel because of a famine. And they settle down there and stay for 10 years. And her two kids find wives. Um, and sometime during this 10 years, Naomi's husband dies. Sad. But she continues on. She has her two kids and their wives. But then, more tragedy, her two sons die. Because um, it was a hard knock life, and living to middle age was like a very incredible feat in Bible times. So it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law now. And Naomi hears through the grapevine that back in Bethlehem, they have food again. It's been 10 years. Everybody's recovering. There's crops. It's fine. And she's like, maybe I should just go home. I should go back to the place I was born. I should go back to the people who look like me and talk like me and understand me and worship the same God. I should just go. And her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, they're like, we should go with you. And Naomi is like, you should not. <laughs> like, I love you, but please stay. Can I possibly have another child? And if it happens to be a boy, are you going to wait for him to grow up and be a man so you can marry him so that he'll give you kids? I mean, it was one of the weirder parts of the Bible, but like, no. <laughs> She's like, I can't have any more kids. I'm an old lady. I have nothing for you. And if you're a woman in the Old Testament, your whole purpose in life like your whole being cared for is the family that you are in. So she's like, go back to your parents. Go back. <laughs> they maybe can find another husband for you. At least if you stay with your parents, you'll be taken care of. You'll have food. I don't have, a, I don't have anything. And Orpah's like, I love you so much, but also that is common sense. I should go home. So she goes home. And Ruth is like, definitely not. Not only does she swear to be with Naomi, she's like, I'll never leave you. I will always take care of you. And I will adopt your God as my own God. I will take Yahweh and it will be my God. And Ruth, I mean, Naomi tries to convince her multiple times. And Ruth is like, don't even talk to me about this. It's, my decision is final. <laughs> Which, I don't know. I, I think that that's pretty funny, like to tell your mother-in-law. <laughs> Naomi cannot convince her otherwise. So they set off on this trek back to Bethlehem. They get there, and again, both of them are widows now. They have no means to provide for themselves. And it's harvest season. They arrive, and Ruth is like, okay, I'm going to go out in the fields and see if I can get some barley or some grain or something that was left behind by the workers. Unless you have, like, some kind of rose-colored picture of what that looks like, um, the harvesters had already been through these fields. They're, like, swinging their sickle or machete or whatever. <laughs> They're, like, cutting grain down. So... And they're good at their job, mind you. Okay, they're not like leaving grain around on purpose. So she would have to find individual stalks of barley and cut them down herself. And they weren't the best ones. They weren't the most perfect ones. They were probably bruised and broken. And all day she gets to do that. Now, Jewish law specifically says um, you should not go through your fields twice. Whatever you left the first time by accident, leave it there. Because poor people, destitute people need something to eat. And this is their provision. So apparently, the person who owns this field, Boaz, does this. He is not going through the field the second time. So he's leaving a little bit of grain here and there. And this guy is a relative of her dead father-in-law. And he notices her. She's just like sneaking around behind the workers, picking up single stalks of grain. And he shows her kindness. And he says, stay with us. Stay with us for the whole harvest. And he tells his workers, don't treat her roughly. Now, Perhaps you've just skipped over that verse if you've read it without thinking twice. This is huge. This is huge. It means Boaz is a good guy. Okay? Um, Ruth 
he essentially puts her under his protection. So she is not to be harassed, not verbally, not physically, and even more important, not sexually. To have this kind of protection had to be an enormous relief for Ruth, who is alone in the fields with a bunch of dudes far from town, okay, um, dangerous. She is in a dangerous situation simply because she is trying to feed herself and feed her mother-in-law. And I do have to make, I have to pause and make a comment here. Um, to anyone who is male or like male presenting who is listening to this, like just because you were born a male or you are male presenting in our society, like you have been afforded a certain amount of like privilege and protection, like physical protection in your life. Um, I doubt very much if you are a guy that you have ever walked to your car with your keys poking out from in between your fingers. Or that you were in a parking lot and you were like, I really need to park under a very bright light and close to the entrance, just in case. Or that you were like, I really should not wear a ponytail at night because someone could grab me by that. That's too easy. I doubt that you have considered the fact that like when women do things instinctively and unconsciously in packs, like go to the bathroom, <laughs> like, oh, you need to go? Let's all go. Uh, it's for safety. There is safety in numbers. We are always collecting people around ourselves to make us safer. I doubt you have like this internal dialogue in your head warning you against speaking up for yourself or like constantly assessing the threat level in any given situation. Like, ooh, that guy's kind of aggressive. Like maybe I should just let this go and not talk because this could get violent. Like how far is too far? How much can I say without having a safety problem? And this is true for pretty much every woman and many members of our LGBT plus community as well. And you, if you are a male or you're male presenting, you are uniquely positioned, just like Boaz, to be a protective force in this situation. Not because protecting is your job as a dude, but because you have a certain amount of space that has been given to you, and you can use it, right? Like, so instead of listening to sexist or misogynistic comments, like, say something, <laughs> speak up. You don't have to listen to that. Um, notice if women are being followed. Notice if there's creepy vibes going on. Like, you can be a presence that creates safety for other people. Side note, this is story time. Once upon a time, I worked at the mall. I'm pretty sure I worked at Gap Outlet. I was like 16, um, and I closed the store, so it was like 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night. And I had to stop at Walmart on the way home. And I went to Walmart, and I was just doing whatever. I was a teenager. And this guy and his girlfriend came up to me, and they got like really close to me, and they were talking really loudly, like they had known me forever. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> Please get away from me, stranger danger. And the guy got really close to me and was like, I just pretend that we're friends of yours because there is a guy following you around the store. And they stayed with me while I got what I needed. They stayed with me while I checked out. They walked me to my car, waited for it to start and for me to drive off before they went back inside and finished their shopping. Because they noticed, right? And because they did something, like who knows? Who knows what would have happened or where I would be right now? Keep your eyes open. You have the ability to prevent things and to stand in the gap for women and for members of the LGBT plus community who have not been afforded protections that perhaps you have in society. Just as Boaz protected Ruth, who was a vulnerable young woman alone in a field where anything could have happened to her and no one would have been around to stop it. And he was like, she's off limits. Don't even, don't even say an unkind word to her. 
And he also gives her some of the lunch that he has for his workers. Um, and then secretly instructs his workers to like drop more grain near her. <laughs> so she works all day. She works very hard. At the end of the day, she has one basket of grain, which should tell you how hard of work this is. Like all day she worked and she has one basket of grain. And then he's like, just come, don't go into anybody else's fields. They might harass you. Just come back. You'll be safe here. So she does this. She goes to his fields every day until the end of the harvest. And then Naomi is like, I have some instructions for you. Go take a bath. This was a big deal in the ancient world. <laughs> um, put on your nice dress as opposed to your work dress. Bathe yourself, put on perfume, and wait till Boaz has eat, eaten and drank, drankin'. <laughs> wait until he's like nice and happy and has fallen asleep. And then go uncover his feet. And he's going to be sleeping in the barn, which is normal, by the way, like, not only so people could get an early start on the harvest, but so that they could protect it from thieves and wild animals, etc. So she does this, but Boaz apparently like enjoys himself on the last night of the harvest, gets toasty from some wine, passes out in the hay. And Ruth tiptoes in, uncovers his feet, and lies down. And then at some point in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up and finds her there. And she says, um, spread your cloak over me, for you are my kinsman redeemer. Now, these instructions are not explicitly sexual in nature. However, <laughs> um, the word for lie down in Hebrew very typically refers to something intimate. There is also an instruction to uncover Boaz's lower extremities, okay? And the spread your cloak over me is she's asking him for a marriage proposal. And he, she says, you have the right to do this. You are supposed to be my kinsman redeemer. Now, kinsman redeemer is a person who fulfills obligations to a deceased relative. So because he is a relative, a distant relative of her dead father-in-law, like basically he has the right to either purchase land on behalf of the dead person that she was married to so that the land doesn't go back to the bank, essentially, or to, into the pot for other people to take over and to marry the widow of that deceased person and have a child with her so that the family line continues on. Now, we think that's weird, super weird. <laughs> like, please, my husband doesn't have any um, male siblings, but like, if he did <laughs> and he were to die, it wouldn't be like, well, now, the next logical option <laughs> is you have to marry me and give me a child. <laughs> but that's the way it worked back then because women had no other option, right? And the family line had to continue. So this is an actual practice that's put in place in the law to help protect widows, to give them a future. So he does this, Boaz agrees to do this and tells Ruth it's the right thing to do, that she has done the right thing. He marries her, she has a baby. This baby is named Obed, who's the grandfather of King David and whose line we get Jesus eventually. What a weird story. I love, the Bible has so many weird stories. Every time I read the Bible, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> this is not what I was taught in Sunday school, if you read it for yourself. And I think the women of the Bible can so easily become caricatures. They're just like models. They're like the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Like just oh, so mo beautiful models of like feminine piety and like, ugh. <laughs> Nothing, not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but Ruth like, she stands among the ranks of women in the Bible who have been limited 
and harmed like by the patriarchal culture that she grew up in. And she challenges the whole institution. She is substantial. She is complicated. She seeks out meaning and direction in her life. She has resolve that is like unmatched. She occupies the biblical text by disrupting it. <laughs> she does not do what she's supposed to do, right? Um, her agency, her decisions hold in the balance um, the salvation story. Without Ruth, we don't get Obed, and without Obed, we don't get Jesse, and without Jesse, we don't get David, and without the line of David, we don't get Jesus. And her story is very human and very real and more than a little complex, right? Because there's more than just a hint that she uses her, the only tools she had available to her, her body, to solve the problem that she and her mother-in-law face. Which if you grew up in evangelical circles like I did, is a big no-no. Her only value in that culture was her ability to bear children. And that's what she uses. And in so using her only available resource, she forces Boaz into doing what is actually right per the Jewish law, which is marrying her and taking care of her and Naomi and producing a child for her. And I think this whole thing like reflects the larger question of how Yahweh, how God actually functions in reality. Not just in terms of like lofty ideals and laws written from on high by people who clearly have no experience in real life. Like <laughs> Ruth is like, hey, you have all these priestly law codes. You have all these prophetic books that say I'm not allowed to be here. Well, guess what? Not only am I here, I'm better than you. <laughs> like, so in Deuteronomy 23, it says very clearly, this is the book of law in the Old Testament. No Ammonite or Moabite will ever be admitted into the assembly of God. And Ruth is a Moabite. There are laws that prevent intermarriage between people of other cultures and the Jews. And in Ezra and Nehemiah, those prophetic books, we have... Um, like vehement opposition to intermarriage in these books. And she's a Moabite, and yet here she is, not only in the assembly of the Lord, but more faithful and more righteous than all of the native Israelites who were born into it. Like Ruth has to navigate all of these social codes, and it's complicated, right? You would think, based on what's written down, that the system is closed to her. There is no room for you here. There's no provision, there's no safety, there's no future, there's nothing. And yet, she's female, she's widowed, she's a foreigner, and she finds inclusion. She's not only like seen and embraced, she's provided for in a system that she approaches as an outsider. And I think that's really important. Like she embodies the ideals, the most lofty ideals of a culture that she was not born into. She's the one who embodies them. And I think, like, I feel like this makes me think about people who are outside of the Christian faith who perhaps are a bit better at this than we are. <laughs> like, all of the people, you know, we were told are going straight to hell, obviously, because they don't believe in the name of Jesus. Um, and somehow, they're, they live with more grace, and they're a little bit more kind, and they're a little bit more open, and they're a little bit... <laughs> all of the things that we hold as our highest ideals. 
Ruth models this way of life that is full of loyalty and trust and interdependence, and she makes promises. But this is key in the story. She acts like God because God is the promise keeper, and so is Ruth. She follows through on her word, and she won't leave Naomi, and she won't take the easy way out, even in a cultural system that is completely stacked against her. And like there's, there's mechanisms, right? You don't just get included. You don't just get accepted. Certainly not in that culture. And in many ways, not in our culture still. There are hoops to jump through. You have to like do stuff, say, you'd be a certain way, right? And Ruth just approaches this head on and does it. Even though it's a struggle. She's trapped, like entangled in this male dominated world that just oppresses her. And not only does she survive in the face of death, she takes hold of her own salvation and she secures her own redemption and her own future, not just for her, but for her mother-in-law. And what's interesting to me is God is only mentioned in passing in this book. Like God doesn't seem to ever intervene directly. It seems more like God's the glue that's holding everything together as opposed to this being who's intervening from on high and saying, thus saith the Lord. I think this story calls us to a lot of things. Like one of them is for us to remember that God works every day, that God's actually with Ruth on the ground, cutting barley, just like God is with us among regular people, through regular life circumstances, and all of this happens despite loss and despite trouble and despite opposition and despite tyranny and despite oppression and displacement and pain. And it's powerful because this whole story undermines our implicit chain of command. It short circuits these plans of people who have all the power and actually elevates the real life of humans. I love that Ruth is in the Bible. We have, I mentioned just a couple of the laws about how she shouldn't have been there, right? She shouldn't have been there. She shouldn't have been included. She shouldn't have even been married in the first place to this guy. And yet, in opposition to all of that, is the whole, a whole book in the Bible is dedicated to her. A childless, poor, foreign woman who is not only not forgotten and not overlooked, but is a better example of the faithfulness of God than God's own people. I think it's beautiful. Like, every time I read Ruth, I'm like, yeah. Your laws say this, and this is what real life looks like. <laughs> right? Like how, I don't want to go off on a tangent because I'll start like really preaching, but like how many of us have been told, you can't do that, you can't be that, you can't say that, you can't wear that, you can't look like that, you can't love that person, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't because we have rules about these things. Obviously, we have rules. Have you read our rule book? Oh, no, you didn't want to spend all of your time reading a rule book? <laughs> and Ruth is like, yeah, that's what it said. And look, this is real life. And guess where God is? In real life with us. <laughs> Not in your lofty ideals of exclusionary laws that keep people pure somehow but actually in the very dirt real life of real people who would go through real struggles and have real loss and somehow 
make it anyway. Like Ruth tells us, like I see ourselves, our own story in this, right? With the ups and downs of human lives. Like we, she's married and then she loses her husband. Like that's terrible. And it reminds us of our losses. But it also reminds us her story of how gifted and how inventive and how tenacious we can be in the face of life struggles. That we can actually sift through moral ambiguity where you're like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, that's not the answer to that problem. And find the deeper truth. You know, before all of the doctrine and theology and liturgy and before all of this, there were just ordinary people finding faith, finding profound faith in the most ordinary and unlikely places of their life. And I think this story is designed to take us out of our Sunday best, where we like freshen up and put our perfect smile on and plop us right back down in the dirt that we came from and that we will return to and remind us that we really do live. We live and we grow and we age and we die and sometimes things suck and sometimes they're wonderful and both things coexist at the same time and this story strips all the paint off, all the nice varnish that we have painted on our lives and says, we don't need, let's just dissolve all those layers of privilege and power and presumption and just maybe we can go back to the natural grain of our life where we live in a kind of mundane world most of our lives is marked with ordinary time. And moral decisions are not always so clear. And then, after we've been in the dirt for a while and we feel grimy, we need a shower, right? The story of Ruth is that too. It loosens all of the ground in grit on our bodies and our souls that says that's just the way it is. This is, you have to accept it because culture says it has to be this way, because your faith said it had to be this way, because your parents said it had to be this way. Ruth just kind of steps up and says, no, it doesn't. Everything said it had to be this way, and look, I didn't just survive. I, th I thrived. And I made a future for myself, and I made a future for Naomi, and because of me, you have Jesus, a foreign childless, poor woman in a place that had no acceptance for her. Made her own way. And you know, the world of patriarchy did not like disappear after Ruth successfully navigated it. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> um, I, we definitely still aren't living in a patriarchal world. I mean, in the end, Boaz is the only one mentioned in the genealogy. And yet, we are still not permitted We are still not permitted to forget Ruth and how fierce she was. She was so determined and so loyal and so hardworking and so committed and above all else, so full of love that the lives of every person around her are transformed. And then, you know, they gave her the compliment. They gave Naomi the compliment about Ruth that I find an annoying compliment, but was probably the best compliment you could give in that culture. Ruth is worth seven sons. I mean, a son was obviously more valuable than a daughter back then, which I have many things to say about. 
I won't go on a rant <laughs> at the end of the service. They say, Ruth, she didn't even have any children for you. She's a foreigner. She's, she should be nothing. And she is the most valuable thing in your life. She's acted like Yahweh. She's acted like God. So maybe just carry Ruth in your heart this week. And if you feel some kind of way about the Bible, um, <laughs> we did this on TikTok a while ago, and it was like, tell me one book that was very clearly written by a guy. And I was like, well, I'm not trying to be that person, but the Bible, <laughs> that even in that, we have a fierce lady, and everything was stacked against her, and she kicked butt anyways. And because of her, we're here. Without Ruth, we don't even get to meet. The end. <laughs> we have two more songs. Um, so I just invite you to stand with us. Um, you can kind of follow along. I know I don't have the words on the screen, but follow along, and then I'll come back and give you a benediction.